chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from John chapter 11, verses 7 to 16, and can be found on page 1077. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to open your word to us. And we pray that we may learn what you want us to hear this morning, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Sometimes when I read a passage of scripture or hear a passage of scripture, I feel like singing. But I thought it's not fair to, to risk singing 
to you this morning. Now, Zacchaeus was a very little man. A very little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Savior he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked into the tree and said, Now, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm coming to your house for tea. I can see some nods. Uh, That was written many years ago, a CSSM chorus, which was written to balance the kind of perception of church music that uh, was based on the English hymnal or hymns more ancient than modern. And there was some variety in the singing. The story of Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus is probably one of the best known stories in in the New Testament. Uh, It's such a human story, Um, a short man scrambling up a tree to see Jesus. But here's the challenge for us today as we continue the theme of worship, uh, drawing people in to our worship, which I have to say has been abandoned at 10.30, but we're carrying on nobly here at 9 o'clock. Would the most reviled of sinners feel welcome and loved in our church? Zacchaeus was a hated sinner. He was the chief among tax collectors. The only occasion in the New Testament where a chief tax collector is mentioned. He ran the local tax office in the city of Jericho and its surrounding prosperous area. It's no wonder he'd grown rich. He'd earned his living and gained his wealth by extorting taxes from his fellow Jews on behalf of the occupying Roman forces. I'm sure that his parents would never have dreamed that he'd turn out the way he did. Why? Because the name Zacchaeus means pure or righteous. He was given that name as a baby. And Zacchaeus' mother and father would have looked down on him and thought, he's the most precious little fellow in the world. And so they named him Zacchaeus Pure. They perhaps believed that God had a plan for him And so they called him righteous. And I imagine that Zacchaeus' parents probably did the best they could to help Zacchaeus to live up to his name. They probably took him to the temple. They probably taught him about God and the scriptures. I'd imagine they'd loved him very much. And through their unconditional love, I'd imagine that Zacchaeus had just a little glimpse of the kind of love that God has for all people, including himself. But things went wrong at some point in his life. That means that one night, the Roman occupation had come to Zacchaeus and made him an offer, an offer that promised lots of money. He could either accept or refuse the offer. He accepted. All he had to do was to turn away from his religion and sell his soul to Rome. And Zacchaeus did it, and he did it very well. Anything and anyone could be taxed. He collected taxes from widows who didn't have enough to pay and therefore would be put out of their homes. He'd cheat and steal from many people, but he'd be rich. He'd have power, power over other people's lives. And so he was anything but pure and righteous by the time Jesus came past on his way to Jerusalem. And Zacchaeus, being vertically challenged, climbed the sycamore tree to see Jesus. You can think of occasions, I'm sure, those of us uh, who are slightly more vertically challenged than others, most recently watching the America's Cup or trying to watch it to see over the heads of the tall men in front of me. I just managed to 
catch a glimpse of Ben Ainsley winning the one and only race. Oh no, there was another one, wasn't there? I didn't see that. I went to watch it on the TV screens. The result of the encounter of Zacchaeus with Jesus was transformational. Although Zacchaeus was keen to find out who Jesus was, you'll notice in verse 5 that it was actually Jesus who took the initiative. And the most amazing thing, Jesus stopped and looked up at him. We know that Jesus had eyes that would see what others would miss. Jesus was able to see into people. He was able to see into their situations. And Jesus didn't miss Zacchaeus. No one came calling for Zacchaeus unless it was to complain. House guests had to be a rare exception in his lonely life. But it was Jesus who was seeking and saving that called out to him. And immediately Zacchaeus responded, came down from the tree, and we're told, welcomed him gladly. What does this account, this story, demonstrate for us? Well, Luke consistently in his gospel shows how Jesus cared for those in need and for those who were marginalized in society. Luke, as a doctor, had a particular interest in sick and needy people, which he shows in the stories he relates and about their encounters that Jesus has with the needy. But why this rich chief taxman? Up to this point in his gospel, Luke has shown a very favorable attitude towards the tax collectors, unlike the other gospel writers. But clearly, in Luke's gospel, the rich were regarded with disfavor. As he was compiling his gospel, Luke was drawing on the evidence that he'd heard and the stories that he'd heard. And Luke remembered what Jesus had said, which is recorded for us in chapter 18, verses 18 to 30, the story of the rich young ruler. And in that particular account, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and we're told that he went away from an encounter with Jesus sad. It's the only occasion in the New Testament that someone encountered Jesus and went away sad. And the reason was that Jesus said to him, okay, you love God, you love your neighbor, but you have to let go of the wealth that's holding you back and he wasn't prepared to do that. And it's given rise to the well-known expression, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I'm sure that Jesus would have been saying that with a smile on his face, and the disciples would have been smiling too, because it was such a ridiculous concept. But now we can see why Luke tells the story of Zacchaeus here in chapter 19. Because Zacchaeus is a rich man who gets through the eye of a needle. He actually entered the kingdom of God. With God, nothing is impossible. Even that rich tax collector, regarded as an outcast, was welcomed by Jesus and Zacchaeus came to faith. As a result of his encounter with Jesus, he entered the kingdom of God. Verse 9 of chapter 19 says, Today salvation has come to your house. Today there is emphatic, and his entry into the kingdom is described as his salvation, which is a spiritual matter 
not a political issue. The Jews were looking for the kingdom of God as a means of defeating the occupying enemy, the Romans. Jesus was speaking about a spiritual kingdom of faith and belief. So the kingdom of God must come in people's hearts and minds in order to bring about transformation. There's no mention of faith here, but it's his actions which represent a concrete expression of the presence of faith. Why? Because he goes much further in giving recompense to those he cheated. He didn't technically need to be so generous, but Zacchaeus makes a two-pronged pledge. First, to give half his yearly income to the poor, and secondly, to return any stolen funds four times over. Jewish law only required restitution of the money, plus 20%. But Zacchaeus thought 400% interest was far more appropriate. Something in that encounter with Jesus changed Zacchaeus, and it changed the way that Zacchaeus saw the world. He could now see people in need, whereas before he only saw people that he could fleece. Something happened inside Zacchaeus, and he was a new man. Salvation has come to your house today. And he fulfilled what Paul would later describe in, in, in Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. And Zacchaeus was given that great privilege to make the most important choice of all, and he made the right one. He made the decision to repent, accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, and turn from his old way of life. And Zacchaeus was truly born again. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. What a fantastic place Zacchaeus found himself in. And Jesus' ministry was fulfilled. The good shepherd had found the lost sheep, who's described in verse 9 of chapter 19 as a son of Abraham, not just by birth, which he was as a Jew, but by faith also. Now we today, as sons and daughters of Abraham, are members of God's kingdom by faith must ask ourselves, what does this story have to say to us? Well, I repeat my earlier question. Would the most reviled of sinners feel welcomed and loved in our church? Our drug addicts, ladies of the oldest profession, those who've lived with multiple partners, those with other addiction problems, those who are homeless, the mentally ill, the depressed, the marginalised, and those who spent time in prison, would they be welcomed here? I hope we can say yes to that question. I think we can, because I know in my six years, most of those situations I've encountered are those who've not broken the laws of the land, but have been through the trauma and the shipwreck of a broken home, the trauma of abortion, who've acted as a surrogate parent, those who are unmarried with children, or people in a dodgy relationship, or adulterous relationship, be welcomed? Would they know that we love them just the way they are, with their sins, their warts, their trials, and their tribulations, 
no matter what their lifestyles, no matter what their appearance, no matter what's in their bank account. And I've got my Mr. Perfect socks on this morning, <laughs> which were given to me just to remind me that I'm not perfect, none of us are. Would they know that we love them just as the way they are, for God loves us just the way that we are, even as perfect as I am. We're still, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So when people come to St. Jude's, do they see in us kindness and the richness of God's love and tolerance and patience and forgiveness? You'll notice in verse 7 the attitude of the religious people at the time of Jesus who muttered that Jesus was speaking with this dreadful sinner. How can you do that? It reminded me of an occasion in my first curacy when uh, a lady became a regular member of our congregation and I ended up in court uh, as a character witness. <laughs> uh, she had had a confrontation with a neighbour who... Um, cast doubts on her um, status, shall we say. There were various men that visited, but she wasn't a lady of the oldest profession by any means. And I went to court as a character witness, saying that she was really struggling to turn her life around, and I believed in the future she would do. And she did. But there were one or two people saying, I don't really want to do that. It's a bit risky going to court on behalf of someone you really don't know that well. Do we see in ourselves Jesus Christ? Do others see Jesus Christ in us? When people see our churches, do they drive by? Do they think we're a bunch of hateful hypocrites or loving people saved by grace, but by no means stuck up or holier than thou? If so, we'll agree with Archbishop Donald Coggan, who once said very powerfully as Christians, we're beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. We found as Christians that our lives have been changed by our encounter with Jesus. We know there's something that we have to offer other people. We know that God loves us and we know that God loves everyone outside of this church building today. And Jesus said that people will know we're Christians by how much we love. Love is what attracts people to Christ. It's not a question of whether our worship is traditional or contemporary. Both have a very important part to play. On Thursday evening, we were looking in Norwich uh, for Edith Cavell's grave at the back of the cathedral, and we took a shortcut through the, the service uh, that was going on. We stumbled on evening uh, prayer as it was being sung, evensong. 18, 16 members, male members of the choir, an organist, a choir master, uh, a verger, a canon in residence and a presenter, and eight members of the congregation. It reminded me of my ordination retreat when there were similar numbers and one of the ordination candidates was in the car and he said, we must close it down, it's not, not worthy of being kept open. He went on to be a bishop had to change his tune a bit. The Regis Professor of Theology at, Cam at Oxford 
was brought up um, to believe in God, but then in the sixth form was invited to a charismatic home church by some sixth formers. And he went along, became engaged in the worship, but wasn't able to ask challenging questions because you don't ask questions, you're told what to believe. And he rejected that particular brand of Christianity, though was grateful for the background that he had in it. And then he went to Evensong and was converted to faith in Christ. The thing was, it wasn't even sung. It was just a said even song. That's why those responses weren't sung today. <laughs> to make the point, that God can speak through services, whether they're traditional or indeed contemporary. I could wax lyrical about contemporary worship, and if I'd not been bounced off the 10.30 service, I might well have said some of the things um, that I was going to say, but I'm not going to say them now. Jesus tells us that the two greatest commandments are these. Love God and love your neighbour. Although I think it's only in Yorkshire if someone's been edu- or someone who's been educated in Eton where they say, love thy neighbour. I never hear anyone speaking that way unless it's Yorkshire. Well, how are we in regard to these things? Do people see in us something that the world can't offer? an abundance of unconditional love towards people, no matter what. I picked up in the museum in Norwich yesterday morning something about Edith Cavell, who was executed 100 years ago on Monday for smuggling British soldiers out of Belgium. She was condemned to death and executed the next morning. On the night before her death, her last words were, Standing as I do in view of God and eternity, I realize that patriotism is not enough. I must have no hatred or bitterness for anyone. Amazing words facing execution. The love of God was revealed in her life. And Zacchaeus, that we've been thinking about this morning, came to know the love of God. But like Zacchaeus and many others, It's easy for us to become numb to the cry of the needy, the voices of the poor, to those who don't know the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's easy to block out these things, but it's not a comfortable place for us to be as Christians. And there's nothing more important in all the world than living for Christ. So what about people who know nothing about the love of God? It's our privilege to share God's love with them. Not all of us are called to be evangelists, but we're all called in some way to show his love, which sometimes means going that extra mile that others may not be prepared to do. What about people like the hated Zacchaeus who knew about God's love but hadn't lived into it, nor had he experienced it firsthand from the religious people ever since becoming a tax collector? We're called to be Christ to people who've lost their way. Perhaps they've been hurt by the church or, more tragically, abused in some way. Those who've got caught in the cycle of sin and denial. Those who are feeling marginalised and lonely. Those who feel unlovable. Bankers, some of them. Some politicians. 
some who've rigged the, inter, uh, the exchange rates, people that we hold in the highest disregard, even multimillionaire politicians who tell the poor to work harder, aren't beyond the reach of God's love. I was preaching at my first family service at a village church in North Oxfordshire, and the passage set was about David and Bathsheba, and David's uh, adultery with Bathsheba. The reader, uh, who was with me, was a bit sniffy about the sermon. She said, totally inappropriate for family service. Don't do that again. After the service, a man was waiting for me. He said, I need to talk to you. He said, what you were saying this morning really touched my heart. He said, I have not been honest with my company. I've stolen someone else's wife, and I'm just like David. Inappropriate? I don't think so. It was appropriate for him. God moves in mysterious ways. Zacchaeus was a chief among tax collectors, but his power, his money, wasn't doing it for Zacchaeus. God had greater plans to transform his life. It wasn't coincidence when Zacchaeus climbed the tree. Many of our neighbours, co-workers, family and friends may be feeling that life has little to offer them. Are we prepared to share Christ's love with them? And if they come to worship, to welcome them, to present the challenge of the need for transformation, because without that challenge, people can just go on living thinking they're okay and God loves them. God loves them, but he needs, they need to experience transformation. Do we welcome those in those situations that I've outlined? no matter what. The answer has to be, yes, we do. And as we do, let's share God's love with them. As we sit, let's bow our heads to pray. Father, we thank you for the transformation that you brought about in Zacchaeus' life. Thank you that you reached out to him and helped him to find faith in you. In our worship, whatever style it may take, help us to look out for those who are in need and help us to recognize that worship isn't about singing hymns or spiritual songs, but how we live our lives in obedience to you, our God and our Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.